Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're grateful that you have brought us here once again to a place where we can quiet ourselves and we can press into the words that you have left for us. Um, Father, we ask that you would give us a heart to understand the things that we're studying, the words that we're looking over, um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, enlarge our capacity to understand truth. Uh, we ask that you'll forgive us where we fail, when we fall short. Uh, Lord, we know that it's not an easy task pressing into uh, the words of life and making a practical application. We know there's going to be opposition from the flesh. There's going to be opposition from the world. There's going to be opposition from the adversary. And so for that reason, we seek all the more to uh, be diligent about study, about application, about understanding, uh, and about um, sharing what we learn with other people. Lord, we know that this is not just uh, in an uh, um, and uh, an ends to itself. It's not just something that we're studying for novelty's sake or for for trivial sake or just to, to to learn some interesting nuggets about the Bible that we didn't know before. Lord, we know it's bigger than that. You have commissioned us, Yeshua, to uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And using Paul's uh, example, we know that this gospel can go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So give us a heart for the lost. Give us a sense of, of urgency of the matter, knowing that the, the times are short, that uh, the return of Yeshua is nearer now than ever before, that prophecy is unfolding before our very eyes, uh, that uh, uh, soon uh, your timetable will start accelerating uh, if, we, if we can sense the urgency of the matter of the hour. Thank you, Lord, that we have been called for such a time as this and that you're giving us a voice in this world. World. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share my studies with people around the world via this meeting of meet, medium of the internet and Skype and iTunes and, and, and the websites and things like that. Lord, what an awesome responsibility to be able to share what you've showed me, what's on my heart uh, with people around the world. I pray that you'll give them supernatural uh, appointments uh, as they meet other people and, and discuss uh, discuss the things that they've learned during their Torah studies. And Lord, we will be careful to praise you and uplift your name and give you the preeminence in all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me once again for another study in the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. 
I'm a tour teacher out at Congregation Kehi Lat Nuva, which is the Harvest Congregation in Thornton, Colorado. And as always, I like to give a plug out to them and invite you to join us on a Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. for our Sabbath services. Pastor Mark McClellan is the senior pastor. If you're ever in the Denver area, uh, Thornton is north of Denver near the Westminster area, and you're certainly welcome to drop on in. And we meet at the uh, at the church building that we rent from, and um, just there's praise and worship, there's Torah study, uh, fellowship, things like that. Many times there's also an Oneg afterwards. We know that Purim is right around the corner, so there's probably going to be some... Um, uh, some festivities uh, taking place soon and things like that. So uh, look us up online uh, at www.graftedin.com. That's my uh, home congregation website, and um, you can find all the logistics there of service times and things like that, uh, address and all that, whatever you need. All right. Um, I bring you these commentaries every week live via Skype. This is just still part of the, the announcements part. Um and we've been going since, uh, I think it was October of 2013 in, in our Galatian study. So we are on, uh, let's see, tonight we're on week 92. And that means we're actually drawing to a close. We're on, we're in Galatians chapter 6, and we're hitting the final verse of my written commentary that I posted. Um, which means I anticipate, by way of schedule, probably this Galatian study, if you're listening to this, by way of iTunes podcast or or my website or somebody shot you a link to this audio portion and you're listening to this a few days later, we will probably finish the Galatian study next week. That's my anticipation. I think I'll be done with it, and um, and then we'll take a week break, uh, which I think will correspond with Purim right there in the middle, if I'm correct, if I remember right. And then we'll start up a new study, brand new study. I believe that this is the study that the Lord wants me to lead. We're going to go down the path of tackling my question and answer uh, section that's available, short questions and short answers, and start working our way down through some of the questions that I've posted on my website. And what's nice is I've got, I've got um, dozens of other questions that I can post to the site so uh, I've got lots of material that I can use for a new podcast show. So I hope you will join me. I hope those of you who are listening to this will continue to stick with me as a podcast, um, even though we switch topics. Uh, if you'd like more information, um, go to my website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. Torah stands for The Torah Shall Go Forth. And right on the home site, there, there's a link uh, that says QA with eBible right on the very top. And when you click on that, you'll see uh, uh, information about the questions that I'm going to be using. And as I start developing the show, I'll put a little bit, uh, I'll probably put some information about how to join the newsletter so that you can be subscribed to the weekly show notes and things like that. Uh, so, information forthcoming. All right. Let's date stamp our recording tonight. Uh, today is February the 17th, 2018 for most of you listening. And as I mentioned, we're in week 92 of our Galatians study. And um, we're on the final verse. So uh, for those of you who are with me in the live Skype class, just remember that we're going to um, teach for about an hour 
and then we will engage in some live chat afterwards. I'm not going to mention to the other folks who are listening that there's live chat because basically we're going to be done with this uh, class next week and uh, probably too late for anyone to uh, seriously jump into the live chat sessions and things like that. But uh, for now, let's jump into some liturgy. Tonight, for our Hebrew section, I'm going to read a one of the blessings that shows up in our standard Siddur, a Jewish prayer book. You can pick up one of these at a Judaica store in your area. I don't know if you can buy one at a Christian bookstore, Bible bookstore, or not. I haven't been to one of them in so long. But you can definitely buy it at a Judaica store, which is basically a, 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 a traditional Jewish counterpart to a Bible bookstore. And... Um, uh, there, there's a very famous prayer that's quite old. Uh, at least uh, most historians uh, date this prayer back to the time of uh, Paul and Yeshua, so first century in some form. Um, and it's known as the Amidah, which stands for the standing prayer, the Amidah, the, a word uh, uh, taken from uh, the Hebrew word for to stand, which is Amad. So, and this prayer is done, if you've ever visited a traditional synagogue, this prayer is done just like it sounds, it's done standing. Um, perhaps that was kind of a reactionary uh, pose taken against um, the Christians who had begun to kneel uh, or bow or something, and or the uh, later on we're going to find uh, Islam, they also bow, they go all the way down to their knees. So it's interesting that if you see a person praying, that depending on what position they're in of praying, you could kind of tell what, what religion they follow. If they're, if they're just on their knees, maybe they're a Christian. If they're um, on their kind of squatting all the way down with their face to the ground, perhaps they're Muslim. Uh, and if they're standing, holding a book, then perhaps they're Jewish. Those are all just generalizations, but you kind of get the idea of what I'm, what I'm talking about. So we got this standing prayer, the Amidah, and there are sections or benedictions in this standing prayer in a, in a traditional prayer book. There's actually 19 of them. There used to be only 18, thus it was also known as the Shemona Esra, which is a word that means the 18 benedictions, or the 18th Shemona Esra. But... Uh, during the first century and the uh, during the um, intense disagreements that started to take place with the messianics that were parts of the of the traditional synagogue and the unbelieving Jews that were still a part of the synagogue, uh, eventually, as most of you who've read your Bible know, the messianic Jews got kicked out of the synagogue just like Yeshua prophesied they would. They got expelled from the from the congregations because of their belief in Yeshua, and the traditional synagogue added an additional prayer. Um, the Birkat Haminim, the blessing, <laughs> interesting they call it blessing, the Birkat Haminim, the blessing over the heretics is what we might translate meaning. Anyway, this is, um, so thus now the Shemona Esra has 19 benedictions, but don't let that trip you up. It's still called the Shemona Esra, 18, and, or just call, call it the Amidah, and that'll be a little easier to remember. Here's a blessing. This is actually the, I said all I have to say because this is actually the 19th blessing out of the Shmona Esra, which means 18, out of the Amidah. This is blessing number 19. This is the last one in the set of 18 blessings. So there's 19 total now. And um, this is the 19th one. We're going to read this tonight because um, there's some phraseology that is in this 19th blessing that was, like I said, historians believe that this was likely uh, one of the earliest um, synagogal prayers that was in existence that was being used like I said, during the time of Paul. We don't know exactly all of the wording and the orders 
of those prayers that were being used at the, in the first century. But uh, to, the, to the best of our ability, piecing together what we know from the surviving literature from that day uh, and things like that, then we get a sense that this was probably well known during that time. And um, there's some verbiage in this uh, benediction, this prayer, this blessing, that you're going to see is similar to the wording of the verse that we're going to study tonight out of the book of Galatians. And that's why I'm bringing this particular blessing into our Hebrew liturgy. So let me read it for you. Um, I'll read the English, and then I'll go back and read the Hebrew for you. Um, The translation reads this way. This is the English. I pulled this version that we're looking at online from uh, www.hebrewforchristians. That's the word Hebrew, the number four, and the word christians.com. Very nice uh, website I can recommend to both Jews and Christians alike. It has a lot of, it's got its own Hebrew course, as well as a lot of blessings that have been reprinted for anyone to to uh, look at. Here's the, here's their English translation, and then we'll go back. And, I'll go back and read the Hebrew as well. The translation reads this way: Grant peace, goodness, blessing, grace, kindness, and compassion upon us and upon all your people, Israel. Bless us, our Father all of us as one, with the light of your face. For with the light of your face you gave to us Adonai our God, the Torah of life and love of kindness, righteousness, blessing, compassion, life, and peace. And may it be good in your eyes to bless your people Israel at every time and at every hour with your peace. Blessed are you, blessed are you, Lord, who blesses his people, Israel, with peace. And then there's a final little paragraph that gets tagged onto the bottom of this blessing. Um, the translation reads, May he who makes peace in his high places make peace for us and for all Israel, and say ye amen. All right, so that's the English translation. Let me go back now and read the Hebrew. For those of you who were with me in the class, I'll just read this Hebrew right here, running right to left. Um, there's a wooden translation underneath. It's kind of this is kind of an interlinear, which is nice, kind of pony version. Um, the Hebrew reads, starting over here on the right, "Sim shalom tova uvracha chen v'chesed v'rachamim aleinu v'ochu Yisrael anacha b'achinu avinu kulano ke'echad be'or panecha kiv or panecha natata lanu Adonai Elohenu Torat chayim v'ahavat chesed." And then when we tag on the final uh, paragraph, it reads, Ose shalom bimromav hu yaase shalom alenu ve'alko yisrael v'imru amen. And the final um, paragraph is actually chanted in most congregations that I've attended uh, to include the Orthodox synagogue that I attended for two years. Ose shalom bimromav hu yaase shalom alenu ve'alko yisrael v'imru v'imru amen. Yaase shalom, yaase shalom. Shalom aleinu v'alko Yisrael. That's generally how the the uh, chanting or the, the chazan would actually chant that last part. All right, and then 
This blessing in most of your standard prayer books, after we read through the, the Amidah, the 19th blessing, if you turn the next page in your um, Siddur, then you're probably going to run into Numbers chapter 6. And so we're going to read that as well. Numbers chapter 6, verses uh, 22 through 27, the final uh, six verses in that chapter, is what the next section is in the Siddur. So we're going to read that as well in part of our liturgy tonight. Uh, the English reads, for those of you looking at my screen, this is my uh, traditional 1917 JPS version. Starting in verse 22, Numbers chapter 6 reads, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, verse 23, Speak unto Aaron and his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, ye shall say to them, verse 24, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. Verse 25, The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And then verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. All right, and the Hebrew going back, starting in verse 22, we're starting right over there, for those of you who are with me in the live class. Uh, starting in verse 22, the Hebrew reads, Vayi debeter Adonai el Moshe lemor. Verse 23, debeter el Aharon ve'el benayv lemor. Kol tivuchu et b'nei Yisrael. Amor lahem, verse 24. Adonai adonai panayv elacha verse 26. adonai panayv elacha vayesem lacha shalom. And verse 27. Vsamu et shmi al bnei Yisrael vaani avarachem. End. All right, so that's our liturgy from the Hebrew selection. Let's turn now to the Apostolic Scriptures, a.k.a. the uh, New Testament, whatever you want to call it there. And we're back in Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read the final section this time. We're going to include the last two, three verses that we've been leaving off previously. So we're going to read chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 11 and work our way to the end of the chapter. So 11 through 18 this time. ESV, I've got pulled up for you, reads this way, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14, but... Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Verse 16, and this is what we're going to study tonight is verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And then we'll include verses 17 and 18 since they're part of Paul's letter, even though we're not actually going to study it in my Galatians commentary. Verse 17 reads, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my bo- on my body the marks of Jesus. And verse 18, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All right, let's jump over to the SBL uh, GNT version of that same section, which is most Bibles uh, section this off as final greetings, benediction, something like that. All right, Paul's final warning is how the, this interlinear version captures it. All right, and we'll just be reading the Greek, which is right down the middle there in the black. 
for those of you who are with me in the live class, starting right there, starting in verse 11. Uh, the Greek reads, Idete pelikois humen gramasun et grapsa te eme cheri. Verse 12, Hasoi thelusen, yupraso pesai, in sarki hutoi, anakadzusen humas, pertemnestai, mananhina tostaro, tu Christu Jesu, me diunkuntai. Verse 13, Ude garhoi pertemnamenoi, autoi, Naman fulasusen, alathelusen, humas pertemnestai, hina in te humetera, sariki kalkesantai. Verse 14, Emoide me genoito kalkesthai, e me en taustaru, stauro, taustaro, tu curio hemon, Jesu Christu, di hu emoi kasmas estaurotai. Kago Kazmo. Verse 15. Ute garpertome ti estin ute akurbustia ala kaine katesis. And then the final three verses, which this uh, pony version labels it the benediction proper, starting in verse 16. Kai hasoi to kanani tuto stoi kesusen erene ep autus kai eleas kai epi tan Israel tu theu. Verse 17. Tu loipu kapus moi medes paraketo, paraketo. Ego garta stigmata tu Iesu into somati mu bastadzo. And the final pasik, the final verse, verse 18. He charis tu curio hemon, Iesu Christu, metatu panumatas hemon, adelphoi Amen. All right, that'll be our uh, liturgy for tonight for the Hebrew and and the Greek. When I start the new study, I'm not sure if I want to include liturgy or not. I haven't determined how I want to handle the liturgy section, if at all, during my new study that's going to begin at the beginning. Or I'm sorry, the uh, second week of um, March is what they anticipated. So set your calendar. <laughs> I'm excited about the new study. I hope you guys are too. All right, let's jump into the Galatians notes. Uh, for those of you who have been following along with the written notes, we are right in the middle of page 180. And as you all know, the study itself only has 187 physical pages to it. 185 would be actually the page count. And once we get to the bottom of page 185, or I'm sorry, 183, uh, that's it. That's it. Study's done. So this is the final verse. We're in the home stretch. Uh, and we've, we've gone, go, been going for two years and we're all, or we're going for over two years and we're almost done. So, Baruch Hashem. Let's look at tonight's study. Let me, let me backtrack just a little bit to get a running start, see where we were at. Last week we looked at verses, um, 14 and 15, uh, where Paul talked about how that there's a boasting that's take, that takes place in his day and it's natural to, um, See how this boasting would uh, keep Israel puffed up in pride, boasting over her ethnic position, boasting over her um, position as being chosen, as as in in comparison to the Gentile pieces of peoples of the world not being chosen. Uh, in other words, they boasted in their um, election status. They boasted in their people status as as. Uh, 
as people who were singled out by God to receive the covenants and the and the Torah and the um uh you know the the, the prophecies and all of that basically um in a sense they felt that uh there was a good reason for them to boast and this boasting uh, was not good. Um, they boasted in quite a few things, and you know, there's nothing wrong with boasting, generally speaking. But in this case, the the program that that Paul saw through his uh, messianic eyes was that God didn't exclude the people groups of the world uh, from blessings that He was uh, making with Israel, the covenants that God was making with Israel naturally included the Gentiles in some way. It was just there was a, a blindness on Israel. There was a, a mystery to it. In fact, it's one of the mysteries that Paul describes in his letters, that um, uh, how would the Gentiles be blessed as they um, worked in and out of, the, of of Israel's position as a chosen people, kind of a unique people group. So we talked about that last week, and then we moved into this idea of Paul reminding his listeners, his his readers, the readers to his letter, as well as the Judaizers or the influences that were also going to be listening to this letter being read in this in the congregations, that this this focus on the externals, um, the focus on uh, physical circumcision that was prominent in Paul's day, to the exclusion of anyone who did not possess this um, outward badge of identity of Jewish identity. Um, this caused problems because it's not. It is also not in accordance with the unfolding of God's plans to bring the Gentiles into within the scope of the blessings of Israel as well, uh, particularly as the Gentiles would form um, opinions about the Messiah of Israel, namely Yeshua himself. And so what Paul is trying to get the Gentiles to understand, very important fact, is that Israel of his day, perhaps maybe the Gentiles weren't aware of this fact, and perhaps maybe many Christians listening to my commentary may not have been aware of this fact as well. But as far as we can tell from the historical uh, research that's done into the first century, many of the prevailing Judaisms of Paul's day, maybe not all of them, but at least a good number of them, at least a significant enough of them to form a, a general public consensus, was that Israel was an exclusive party with God when it came to covenant enjoyment, blessings, inheritance of Torah, the age to come, uh, access to God and his spirit, etc., etc. So if a non-Israelite wanted to interact with the spiritual, wanted to interact with God, wanted to interact with the Torah, the blessings, uh, the covenants, and all of that, the, the sacrifices, um, at some level, the person from outside of Israel had to engage in a relationship with Israel in some way, shape, or fashion. Whether this meant simply being a God-fear and attending the synagogue and kind of uh, kind of auditing synagogue attendance, if you will, or if it meant going the full-blown route of converting and changing your ethnicity from a legal standpoint from one of the nations to being a member of Israel, a Jewish member of Israel, uh, going through this proselyte program that had been developed in Paul's day. So all of this became a, a point of um, discussion in Paul's letters, and it became a point of discussion in the book of Acts as well, particularly the Jerusalem Council. And the reason why this is important for us and our studies today, <clears throat> sorry about that, is because um, um, as we read through the apostolic scriptures and, and letters, we often see Paul 
um, frowning upon certain aspects of Jewish lifestyle, such as physical circumcision or keeping the Torah or things like that. And uh, if we don't understand the historic background and sociological background behind um, what was taking place in Paul's day, we're going to misunderstand the words from our today's uh, 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 interpretation and application perspective, especially as Gentile Christians. In a word, we're going to draw a false conclusion that Paul was against physical circumcision for Jewish males, and that he was against Torah observance for anyone seeking to be counted as uh, righteous or godly in, in, in that day. And nothing could be further from the truth. So keep listening, and we'll flesh this out. All right, um, so now we're in verse 16. And um, I want to say this up front as a kind of a precursor before we get jumped in, before we jumped into the study. Verse 16, as far as I can tell, is, this is actually, if, if we just look at the raw data, this is the first time actually, and the only time, that Paul uses the word Israel in this letter. So I don't think that Paul is actually going to embark on some type of lengthy theological um, uh, explanation, you know, about what and who is Israel. Since he only mentions it one time in this letter, and even then it's at the at the end during his benediction. So um, it seems to be that that he's probably borrowing maybe some familiar understanding of what this term might be implying already without fleshing it out like he's going to do later on in his book to Romans, Uh, particularly when we get to, say, Romans chapters 9 through 11. Paul spends a great deal of time uh, fleshing out what we're going to look at in snapshot tonight in the book of Galatians. So that's kind of the overview that I want to present you with before you could jump into uh, understanding and interpreting a verse such as verse 16 that we're going to look at tonight. I want you to get an idea that I don't think Paul would probably mean to unpack as much as we're going to unpack tonight. But at the same, by the same vein, since this is a commentary of the book of Galatians, then I'll do my best to explain what I believe is perhaps maybe the import of what Paul's trying to get across. Okay, so that being said, Let's turn to my uh, commentary. All right, we're in the middle of page 180, starting in verse 16. Paul reads, uh, uh, says this, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. By the way, we're only going to read down through, I've anticipated reading down through the top of page 182, and we'll save the rest for next week, since this is a lengthy section, and I don't want to go too fast lest I lose some of you in my explanation because it's going to get slightly technical. I'm going to go kind of slow, so we're only going to hit about a page and a half tonight. All right, everybody cool with that? Great. All right, let's go. Here's what I have to say in my comments. This verse represents the final blessing of our letter to Galatians, and thus brings his arguments against the influencers to a close. Since this verse follows immediately after verse 15, right? So we have to really read verse 15, which reads, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. All right, that's the context of what he says, why he brings in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule. All right, keep that in mind. So because verse 15 and 16 are together, most of you know that in the original Greek letter that Paul wrote, there were no really verse chapter, verse and chapter breaks anyway. So this very well could have been just one verse. It's just up to the translators. You guys understand that. So I take the phrase, this rule, the term, this rule in this verse, where Paul says, um, 
and as, as for all who walk by this rule. So I think that's a specific reference back to um, the theology <clears throat> of verse 15. So I take this rule to refer to the standard of forensic righteousness, which is basically salvation, right? Salvation-based righteousness. In other words, uh, salvation from the internal, uh, eternal, spiritual, heavenly perspective, as opposed to mere earthly, temporal, uh, uh, physical salvation, you know, like, say, salvation from your enemies or salvation from a, from a natural disaster or from some imminent danger or something like that. Not that kind of salvation, but the forensic righteousness. So I take this term, this rule, to be um, referring to this forensic righteousness that was pre- uh, previously spoken about in verse 15, namely, genuine and lasting covenant membership, as Paul is trying to explain to his members there, the Gentile uh, members of the congregations, genuine and lasting covenant membership into the eternal people of God is not procured, that is, secured or gotten, right? It's not had by one's ethnicity. It's not, it doesn't happen by becoming Jewish or being born Jewish. Rather, it only happens by placing one's genuine and lasting faith in Yeshua Hamashiach. Omen? Omen. And so I think that's what Paul's trying to get across when he says, all who walk by this rule. What rule? The rule that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, like he uses in other passages, or to use the verbiage of verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. He kind of just uh, scales it down here. But essentially, we know what this means for us today is that there's not a prerequisite before God can count you as forensically righteous. In other words, you don't have to accomplish some change in status before God will accept you into the family of the saved, the family of the blessed. You guys know what I mean by that. So um, notice I didn't mention anything about works such as keeping Torah or keeping a certain amount of good deeds or things like that, because I think that is all a different way to interpret the book of Galatians, especially interpret the word circumcision. Recall from previous studies here in the book of Galatians that this word circumcision, you can just pick up last week's podcast, right, week number 91, that circumcision is likely a circumlocution, a kind of a um, metonym, right, a stand-in word, a loan word, a, 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 um, a, a, a borrowed word um, to uh, for Jewish identity right? Uh, the word circumcision itself had evolved into this religious term by Paul's day based on the, the, the Jewish people's understanding of the stranger that took up residency within Israel. Uh, traditional Israel uh, interpreted this, this the position of the stranger taking up residency as converting to the Israelite religion. In other words, becoming a, a legal standing Jew with all its uh, rights and privileges. And thus, this term circumcision was reserved for Jewish members of Israel to include females, as odd as that might sound to some of you. So for Paul to say in verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, he's not he's not speaking against the physical act of circumcision like we might read about in Genesis chapter 17 with Papa Abraham or eight-day circumcision like we might read about in Leviticus um, chapter... uh, Oh gosh, why do I always forget that? Uh, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. Yes. So um, 
That's not really what Paul's speaking of when he says that circumcision doesn't count for anything nor uncircumcision. It's more natural to understand the sociological slash religious inference here by Paul explaining that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. What matters is that you're a new creation when it comes to being counted as um, righteous in God's eyes, when it count, comes to be counted as saved, when it comes to be counted among um, those who would inherit the blessings of God, particularly in the age to come. There's not a prerequisite that you can put forth that God will receive, that God will accept. So don't focus your life, all of your energies in that area. Don't don't put all of your money into becoming a Jew if you're not already one by birth. If you're a Gentile, don't focus all of your energies on the proselyte ceremony that Paul would speak to the Gentiles. And if you're Jewish, don't focus all of your energies on maintaining this Jewish position in Israel, okay? So that's really what Paul's talking about. And it's this um, this new way of understanding our position in Israel as believers, both Jew and Gentile, that the, the ground is leveled for the cross, that God doesn't elevate our ethnicity in order to reckon us as righteous. It's this new way of understanding uh, our position in, in God, thus our position in Messiah, uh, that that we as Jew and Gentile are both co-equal. We're, we're fellow heirs with one another, to borrow the language uh, from the book of Ephesians. Um this is the rule that Paul is trying to explain uh, in verse 16. This is the rule that Paul is laying down in the congregations. And this is the rule, this rule of, of the equality of Jews and Gentiles. This is the rule that Paul is going to get, he's going to receive persecution over. It's because this goes against the long-standing tradition that blessing and uh, uh Salvation and Torah observance, all of these are were exclusively reserved for Jewish Israelite members in Paul's day. So that's why it's going to upset the apple cart from their perspective. Let's keep reading my commentary. Um, moreover, it would seem that Shaul extends this blessing of ultimate peace and mercy exclusively to the group who conforms to the Halakha, a group Paul identifies as, quote, the Israel of God, end quote. So, let's look at this. Why does he say, peace and mercy be upon them? Who is the them? And why does it seem like this is an exclusive blessing and upon the Israel of God, right? Who is this Israel of God? This is what we're going to start talking about tonight. Who or what is the Israel of God, I say in my commentary. Let us briefly examine a few Bible commentaries for some possibilities. Uh, as I was studying into tonight's uh, notes, uh, studying this week, I just went back and looked through various commentaries about who is Israel, what's the relationship of Israel and the church, um, things like that. And the the, the understanding of, of Israel's relationship to the church or the church's relationship to Israel is legion. There, there's many manifold different ways we could understand this, and some of them aren't very good. And if I have time, we'll look at some of those tonight. But let me see if I can read down through my commentary first, and then we'll save my the, the bulk of my um, extra explanations till the later part. Who or what is this Israel of God? Let's briefly examine a few Bible commentaries for some possibilities. First of all, using Bible Hub, Bible.hub's online commentary resources, I was able to call together these few examples. All right, let's start with the pulpit commentary. Here's what we have near the bottom of page 180. This reads, quote, the words, quote, and upon the Israel of God, end quote, seem to be an echo of, quote, the, uh, seem to be an echo of the, quote, 
peace upon Israel, which the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Hebrew, the Greek, we've got uh, reproduced for us once again from the uh, pulpit commentary, which reads, Erene epiton Israel, which in the Septuagint closes the 125th and 128th Psalms. So this phrase, peace upon Israel, is actually borrowed from the Tanakh, is the point that this commentary is trying to make, which is good. This this lends credence to the fact, as I interject, that these this verbiage, this peace be upon Israel, was likely uh, an extant part of some form of liturgy that was being used in the synagogues of Paul's day. Thus, the reason why I read the uh, the, the the part of the Amidah like I did. All right, let's continue the pulpit commentary's viewpoint. The addition of the words "quote of God" end quote seem intended pointedly. To, disqueen, to distinguish the, quote, Israel, end quote, which the apostle has in view from that which boasted itself as being Israel while it was not, and also from the false brethren, the pseudodelphoi of Galatians 2.4. Of course, the false brethren is a reference to the... Um, uh, the influencers or the the Judaizers, the agitators, right? The, the the villains of the peace, those who had snuck in unawares, as like we read about in Galatians two four, the people that that are posing themselves, presenting themselves as believers and members of the congregation, but in reality, probably didn't confess genuine faith in Yeshua. It's probably just a an external uh, lip service faith in Yeshua that they were pronouncing uh, so that they could be a. Uh, include themselves in the in, in the the congregant members uh, that were meeting in uh, the area known as Galatia. There, so let's keep reading. Um, these pseudodelphoi, these false brethren in the Christian church, who were for linking themselves with false Israel. All right, this term false Israel is what we're going to have to talk about tonight. The addition is not merely honorific, as in the expression quote the Church of God, like we might read about in First Corinthians one two, and Second Corinthians one one, as well as Second uh, Corinthians ten thirty two, eleven twenty two, and fifteen twenty nine. We find a similar phraseology in Paul this phrase, uh, quote the Church of God, and it seems to be kind of a, 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 an honorific label that Paul uh, greets. Uh, people with. But this seems to be a little different. Uh, it seems to be distinctive as well, they say, as that which alone God views and loves as, quote, Israel, end quote. To wit, um, they say that this phrase, um, the, the Israel of God, seems to imply the entire body of real believers in Christ who, as portrayed in this epistle, are, quote, children of promise after the fashion of Isaac, end quote. That's, of course, uh, taken from Galatians 4.28. Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise, like we read about in Galatians 3.29, as well as the children of the, quote, the upper Jerusalem, which is our mother, end quote, which we read about in Galatians 4.26. So it's very nice to borrow phraseology that Paul has already used in the same letter if we're seeking to understand additional phraseology that shows up in the same letter. It's a very good practice, I might uh, notice. Let's keep reading uh, this final quote from the pulpit commentary. reads, quote, Of that portion of the true Israel which dwelt in Galatia, see 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 2.10, those who, like the apostle, consecrated themselves to Christ as crucified were the guiding and characterizing element, and therefore his blessing shed upon these spreads itself also upon those connected with them, end quote. So, that's the pulpit, pulpit commentary's viewpoint on this particular verse. If you look at my uh, 
commentary, we're near the top of page 181, footnote number 172, points to uh, the public commentary to Galatians 6. All right, let's keep reading. Gill's exposition of the whole Bible adds the following description. Gill's exposition is is one of my favorites to look through, even though he's a traditional Christian commentator um, of, of years gone by. He likes to reference a lot of uh, rabbinic resources when he does his commentary, so that's one of the reasons why I find him to be one of my favorites. Uh, here's what he has to say about this particular verse. The, the thing I don't like about Gill is his writing style. He 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 has a lot of what I call run-on sentences separated by clauses se- separated by um, uh, colons and semicolons, and so it's hard for me to read through his commentary sometimes. But I'm going to read it for you, and, uh, and hopefully it won't be too confusing for you to follow along. Okay, so here's what Gill has to say. Quote, the, quote, Israel of God, end quote, or as the Arabic version reads it, quote, Israel, the propriety of God, end quote, which has a right unto and a claim upon, who are chosen by him, Israel, his elect, who are redeemed by him out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, who are called by his grace, and are styled Israel, his called, who are justified in his son, and saved by his righteousness, and who for, and for whose sake, he is exalted as a prince and a savior to give them repentance and remission of sin and who are or will be saved by him with an everlasting salvation and is a name that includes all God's elect, whether Jews or Gentiles. Though it may have, uh, though it may have a particular respect to such of the Israelites or Jews God had foreknown and reserved for himself, and who believed in Christ and walked as new creatures without confidence in the flesh. And that word flesh there would mean confidence in the uh, ethnicity, not necessarily confidence in your works. You understand that? All right, Gill goes on to conclude, the Jews themselves own that, that is to say they, they believe, that strangers or proselytes shall be called by the name of Israel. So they... B, and he's got like a little footnote within his own commentary, they explain Isaiah 44, verse 5, the latter part. And Isaiah 44, 5, if you were to go look it up, is that verse that talks about how that uh, many will be called by the name of Jacob. All right, so that's Gill's exposition to the whole Bible commentary. Uh, footnote number 173 shows that I lifted this from the same website, BibleHub.com. You can find Gill's exposition to the whole Bible, particularly Jake Galatians chapter 6. Uh, uh, on that website. All right, let me look at uh, Skype real quick just to see what's going on. All right, okay, looks good. All right, so finally, uh, uh, Jamieson Fawcett Brown's Bible commentary uh, adds these brief comments, and very, very short to the point. Quote, Israel of God means not the Israel after the flesh, among whom those teachers wish to entoll you, but the spiritual seed of Abraham by faith. And they reference Galatians 3.9 and 29, as well as Romans 2.28, 29, and Philippians 3.3. 3. And their footnote, their 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 um, commentary was lifted if you look at footnote number 174. Once again, all three of these were from BibleHub.com's commentary library. And this time, uh, uh, the Jamie, Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible commentary to Galatians chapter 6. Okay. Alright, so those are just three that I'm going to single out from the traditional Christian uh, library of commentaries. And look at this, as I add my own notes here in my commentary here. 
I was pleasantly surprised by my brief investigation of Christian commentaries to find a consistent agreed with, I'm, I'm sorry, to find a, a consistent agreement with what I feel to be an accurate definition of this phrase, this role of God. That's right. I believe that the way they were describing is actually accurate to go to the core point. And I have to explain what I mean by what, what their view is. Otherwise, some of you are going to label me as a replacement theologian or a supersessionist or something like that. I go on to say in my commentary, I have to wonder out loud if the influencers felt the sting of Paul's descriptive and exclusive blessing since he did not automatically include those in traditional Israel who did not follow the rule he just laid out in 6.15, right? Did you catch that? Because Paul says in verse 16, and, and as for all who walk by this rule, which means what Paul does in that first clause is he creates what's called a conditional, a conditional, meaning as long as the conditions are met, then the position that Paul's describing can be enjoyed. But if the condition isn't met, then the position that Paul is describing, or the theology that Paul is describing, cannot be enjoyed or uh, can't be participated in. That's why we call this a conditional. So that's why he says, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, which means the opposite is true. If we if we turn this into the negative, um as for all who walk by this rule, that's what Paul's positive statement is. But in verse 16, if we if we turn it around to the negative, as for all who do not walk by this rule, there will be no peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. In the sense, uh, that's what Paul's trying to convey by using this conditional, right? As for all who do walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. So there seems to be an exclusive group that Paul is trying to allude to, that he's trying to refer to. So let's talk about that uh, for the next few minutes and see who this exclusive group is, all right? Um, We're near the top of the hour right now. I think we've got probably about 10 more minutes left in the study, and then we'll do some... We'll do some after chat for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I think we'll stop at the bottom of the study. That, that'll probably, uh, for those of you who are in the live study right now, all of those students who are listening, um, at the bottom of the hour, um, uh, we'll, we will probably with it be within the chat session during that time. Okay, so let's take our, our uh, uh, podcast section, our podcast show, for another 10 minutes or so. Let me read this middle section here, this uh, verse. Like I say in my commentary, I have to wonder out loud if the influencers felt the sting of Paul's descriptive and exclusive blessing, since he didn't automatically include those in traditional Israel who did not follow the rule he just laid out in 6.15. Indeed, right, the rule, you have to remember, according to the way I understand it, the rule that Paul is is, uh, applying exclusively to the group that he calls the Israel of God is the rule of, of the rule where, uh, ethnicity is not put as the forefront of one's um, uh, being counted as righteous by God. Okay, that's the rule that Paul's laying down. In other words, it's it's a um, it's a it's a de-emphasis of the of the national nationality aspect of Israel. Of it's a de-emphasis on the ethnic as- aspect, right? Of the nationalism. I don't mean the nationality. The nationalism that was prevalent in Israel's day. This this idea that the Torah was for Jews only and Jews exclusively. This idea that we read about in the Mishnah Sanhedrin ten one, I believe. Um, 
about the, all Israel shares a place in the world to come. And we understand that to mean all Israel, all Jewish Israel and only Jewish Israel shares a place in the world to come. We've studied that in previous commentaries as well, previous uh, podcast shows. So the rule that Paul's laying out is this new kind of, um, of, of covenantal nomism, a new kind of way of understanding the righteousness of God as seen from the eternal aspect. And that's the type of righteousness that doesn't elevate one's ethnicity, but instead elevates one's faith in the faithfulness of Messiah, one's faith in Messiah and the faithfulness of Messiah. In other words, um, the election of God is, is reserved for those who have gravitated or graduated to a genuine and lasting faith in Messiah. Let's read um, something out of the book of Romans that Paul's going to use to repeat sentiments such as the ones that we're finding right here in uh, Galatians chapter 6. We've got this lengthy quote from Romans again. All right, let's start now near the bottom of page 182. Quote, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. This, of course, is Romans chapter 9, the first few verses. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What does he mean by according to the flesh there? He simply means according to ethnicity. In other words, by a natural birth order. My kinsmen according to the flesh meaning by natural um, lineage. Okay? My, my own physical heritage. All right. He doesn't mean according to self-effort or something like that. Let's continue. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, we're near the top of page 182 now, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Notice all of the um, advantages that elect Israel enjoys. Of course, this is because God himself elected Israel. It's not something that Israel can, uh, clamored after and heaped upon themselves, right? The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, all of those are God's doing. Let's keep reading. Israel is simply, simply the gracious recipients of all of those things. This is why I teach quite pointedly that Israel didn't think that she had to earn her position uh, in God's sight in the first century. Rather, with all of these advantages that she had been given, right, all the things that Paul lists there, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, with all of those advantages that were given to Israel and Israel's history, Israel felt that she alone had was the gracious recipient of righteousness in God's eyes. Therefore, she wasn't trying to earn her way into God's presence. She felt that she had been graciously elected and called into God's presence, and therefore she had a right to believe that she was righteous because God himself elected Israel. You understand the huge difference? In other words, it wasn't a self-effort on their part. In other words, this whole merit theology position that modern Christianity teaches that Israel supposedly was exercising in their first century worldview of trying to earn their position in God's favor. It wasn't really that at all. It was rather that Israel had misconstrued grace in, in, in a fashion that led them to believe that because of her election, which was true, that their election guaranteed them a place in the world to come. In other words, they were misunderstanding temporal blessing. They were confusing temporal blessings with spiritual blessings. And we'll get to that in a moment. 
But here's what Paul continues to say in Romans chapter 9. To them, speaking of Israel, belong the patriarchs and from their race, meaning from their heritage, from their, their ethnicity, according to the flesh, and he even clarifies it there, in case we misunderstood, is the Christ. In other words, Jesus is Jewish, not Jesus was Jewish. Listen to what I just said. Jesus is Jewish. He's still Jewish. So, according to the flesh came the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But, Paul goes on to say, it is not as though the word of God has failed, right? Now Paul goes into this whole idea of election and the fact that that many within Israel did not believe in Jesus as their Messiah, and therefore God had to put them in a position of of um of backburner status. And Paul talks about how the conundrum that this created in the first century view is that if we're elect, how come all of us aren't righteous, right? What's going on? All right, Paul can understand this because Paul has had his eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, right? Meaning, from Israel's perspective, why didn't all of us believe in Jesus? Why didn't all of us accept the Messiah? Paul himself would, would, Paul would include himself in that kind of question mindset. Why didn't all of Israel believe like they should have, right? I mean, with all of these advantages in front of them, why didn't they accept the Messiah when he came and died? Paul would ask himself that same question. Of course, Paul knows the answer, but greater Israel would probably still be scratching their heads uh, as, as far as what the answer is. So, Paul explains, it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Eh? Now, that's a strange statement. We're going to have to unpack that that section here in a moment. And not all are children of Abraham because they are of offspring. But, Paul says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Of course, he's, he's quoting the Tanakh there. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring, end quote. That's Romans 9, verses 1 through 8, as rendered out of the ESV. And, We'll stop at the page, at the top of page 182 in my commentary, and next week we'll pick up uh, our reading here with this uh, paragraph here, starting with as painful as it is for Paul to admit the truth of the gospel at times. And we'll keep unpacking this um, uh, this concept of uh, who is the Israel of God that Paul is explaining here in this uh, final uh, greeting and benediction at the end of his letter. But for now, in the last just a minute or two of my um, live show here, I want to draw your attention to what I think Paul is alluding to. And if we don't cover all of this tonight, we'll catch it next week. We'll start with this perhaps next week. Recall uh, several months ago, I presented this chart to the uh, students of my study here that if we read through the Bible, we're going to naturally encounter a good number of biblical concepts that are actually conveyed in, temp- in both temporal and eternal aspects. That is to say, the, I, I, I believe that the Bible recognizes both temporal slash physical realities and actions, as well as eternal slash spiritual realities and motivations. And I've got, uh, for those who are in my live class right now, I've got this... Um, chart pulled up and you can see it's a chart that I created it's a very simplistic chart where there's a table and there's two columns and one table on the left has uh, verbiage such as uh, temporal natural flesh old man eternal I'm sorry external earthly outwardly physical and its corresponding table on the right has the counterparts has eternal spiritual spirit new man internal 
heavenly, inwardly, spiritual. And what I'm trying to um, convey by putting together this simplistic chart is that as we read through the Bible, it would be helpful for us to remind, to be reminded that a good number of these um, important biblical concepts that I've got bullet pointed here, probably about a dozen or so, um, are described in the Bible and portrayed in the Bible in both temporal slash physical as well as eternal slash spiritual aspects. And if you look at the list there, you'll see that I've got identity of Israel on the list. And that's the one that we're going to be talking about as we look at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 6. Basically, basically remember, um, there is national Israel and there's remnant Israel. And if we just use the book of Galatians, we've got present Jerusalem and we've got Jerusalem from above as well. So we've got two realities of Israel that we have to contend with when we're reading through Paul's letters as well as the entire Bible itself. And um, uh, if we use that, I talked about this also a few weeks ago, um, that when, when, when Paul talks about Israel, because he is now a Messianic Jew, and I'm, I'm closing with these concepts, this is just basically a teaser for those of you who are listening to my commentary, we'll flesh more of this out next week. But let me give this teaser for tonight's study. If we were to look at a diagram that included two circles, all right, I'm borrowing uh, one of my illustrations from HebrewForChristians.com, the, the website I, that I took my liturgy from earlier. Hebrew for Christians uh, shows this diagram of two circles that overlap with one another. Think of, say, for instance, the MasterCard logo, where we've got two circles that, as we push them closer together, they overlap, and there's a middle section that represents the overlapping of the two circles. We call this basically a Venn diagram. V-E-N-N, V like victory, E-double-N, Venn diagram, if you want to Google search that term. This is a, 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 um, a tool used to try to describe or portrayal, portray uh, sometimes either a contrast uh, between two concepts or sometimes portray uh, the comparison between two uh, concepts. And in this case, Hebrew for Christians um, has drawn a Venn diagram with one circle called Israel, which would be natural Israel to include the natural branches, and then another circle called the nations, which would be basically the Gentiles who are not part of ethnic Israel. And then in Hebrew for Christians diagram, for those of you who are with me on my screen, you can see this live, so I'm describing it for those of you who are not with me in the live class tonight. If we take these two circles and move them close to one another, another one another and let them overlap with one another, just like that MasterCard logo does with the red circle on the on the left and the orange circle on the right. In the MasterCard logo, once they overlap, they create a, I'm sorry, it's kind of a yellow circle on the right. When they overlap, they create kind of an orange circle in the middle as the red and the yellow mix together right near the middle. Well, in this little diagram on Hebrew for Christians website, we can see that the larger circle called Israel includes natural branches on the outside, on the on the on the leftmost side of the circle. And the nations, or the Gentiles, are the rightmost side in the other circle, the one on the right. But as they overlap, the, the, the section in the middle that is created by the overlapping portion becomes what's labeled as the remnant Israel. In other words, the remnant includes natural branches that become part of the remnant by faith in Jesus. And they include both natural-born Jews as well as those from the nations who are grafted into remnant Israel by faith in Messiah. That's right. The Those from the nations who 
place their faith in Jesus, those who are Gentiles with no natural ethnicity to Israel, once they place their faith in Israel, according to Paul's theology, I believe that Paul describes these from the nations as becoming part of the remnant, just like the natural Israelites who place their faith in Jesus as well. And so in that sense, the church finds her identity inside of remnant Israel. In other words, they're synonymous terms. The church is remnant Israel. In other words, um, the church doesn't overtake Israel. She doesn't replace Israel. She doesn't supersede Israel. She's not separate from Israel. Rather, the church, as it describes genuine believers who place their faith or at least even name the name of Jesus, there this could even really include um, those who probably even profess faith in Yeshua. But nevertheless, uh, God knows the true heart uh, those who would name the name of Jesus for salvation, whether it's true or not, but at least describe those who name the name, these people should be described then by Paul as the remnant. In other words, the people that God is going to extend his mercy and grace to in a special and unique way, in a way that that doesn't elevate their ethnicity over and above other aspects of their membership within this remnant group. You guys understand what I'm saying here? We could look at another diagram uh, Tim Haig has a diagram available uh, in his um, Romans commentary that's available on his website for purchase at uh, TorahResource.com. And it's essentially the same thing as Hebrew for Christians, as I'm presenting it for those of you in the live class. You can see in figure one for his epistle to the Romans, he's got this large circle on the left. This is nearly identical to the uh, Venn diagram that we just read about, uh, that we just looked at in the uh, Hebrew for Christians, which is available for free, by the way. You don't have to buy it like you do Tim Hake's commentary. But we've got the Israelite circle on the left. We've got the Gentile circle on the right. And as the two circles move towards one another, they intersect and overlap in the middle, creating a section, a segment known as the remnant. And um, thus, the remnant is composed of Jews and Gentiles who profess or claim to name the name of Messiah, Yeshua, as their righteousness. Notice the remnant does not put forth their ethnicity or their good works as the um, ingredient of righteousness in God's eyes. Instead, they put forth or they rely on the faith of Messiah, their faith in Messiah and the faithfulness of Messiah, the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement in the blood of Messiah, the infilling of the Spirit, that's their reliance, that's their boast, um, that's their claim to eternal life. It's not their ethnicity. And so it is with that that Paul can then say in a rather exclusive fashion, as for all those who walk by this rule, who are the all those? Well, it must be, using the Venn diagrams that we looked at earlier, it must be the remnant group, right? The remnant group in both of my illustrations. It must be this remnant group because they alone are the ones who walk by this rule. What rule? The rule that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are to be elevated above everything else. That's the rule that they're walking upon, that they're walking into. And it's that exclusive group that Paul can say, peace and mercy be upon them. This is the group that is the Israel of God. So that's my teaser for tonight. We're about at about an hour into the study, and I think it's a good place to call it quits. 
for tonight's live study. We'll pick this up next week in my commentary and continue reading down to the end where we're going to flesh this out and see uh, how this works together with the rest of Paul's writings. So for now, uh, let me close in prayer and we'll take the final 10 or 12 minutes or so uh, to entertain live chat for those of you who are in the study, okay? And if you're missing the live study and you're thinking, wow, I'd like to engage in the live chat, you got to be a part of the live Skype class. Join us 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, for the study to the Galatians. But after that, we usually engage in the live chat and it's exclusive to those who are in the live chat, meaning I don't record it and upload it to iTunes store or anything like that. If you want to uh, chat with the other students, you got to join us live. So let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for this uh, opportunity to study with the students. I thank you for the material. I thank you for the relevance of the uh, study and the importance for us as Jews and Gentiles in the body of Messiah today. I thank you, Lord, that that if we are going to continue to uh, understand who we are in Messiah and our our um, relevance towards one another the, and the um, the important message that we have to give to, uh, to those around us who have not yet heard the good news of the gospel, Lord, we've got to understand uh, the central truths of how our righteousness is secured in your eyes. Is it by our ethnicity? Is it by uh, uh, our good works? Is it by the prayers? Is it by uh, uh, the good deeds of our parents? Lord, how is it that you reckon righteousness to us as Jews and Gentiles? These are very important topics that we undertake in these particular studies, Lord. So it's with that endeavor that we seek to um, understand and apply the truths that we're studying in this book of Galatians. Give us a heart to understand and a desire to practically walk out the things that we're learning in our Torah studies. Lord, we'll continue to praise you and lift you up and give you the praise for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. 